powerful truth. A catchy tune. Last time y'all did that, Brian. Hello. Hello. Testing. Is the light on? Uh oh. Now we on? Are you off now? Try again. <laughs> Testing. My bad. When it comes to this technical stuff, I can operate it, but you got to tell me what to do. But, uh, but no, the last time y'all sang that song, I think uh, Tana and I sang it for about a week and a half. It's a catchy tune, too. I, but the truth, you know, his, our sins, which are many, his mercy is more. It's, just, it's a good song to sing throughout the week and remind ourselves of. Amen? <clears throat> All right, well, two weeks ago, the message I shared was that the one true God is the sovereign ruler over all nations. The Bible says in Psalm 47, 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Do you still believe that? Do you still, still believe that God sits on the throne of this nation? No matter what? God sits on the throne of the universe. All nations he rules over. He is the origin of all nations. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, verse 26. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. That is, God has predetermined every nation's rise and fall, and he's predetermined every nation's boundaries. And then he has a purpose for every nation. His purpose is that all nations should seek him and know him. He promised Abraham when he called Abraham out of a pagan nation, and he said to Abraham, out of your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that's what Paul repeated in the book of Galatians chapter 3. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations will be blessed. God has a plan for all the nations. His, his plan is to hear, for them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, to turn from their sin and to be saved, and to enjoy the blessedness of knowing and following Him. But there is someone who doesn't want the nations to be blessed. There is one enemy who seeks to undo the blessings of God upon the nations. The Bible tells us who that enemy is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, we must be sober and vigilant for our adversary, our enemy, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour or destroy. So you see, the devil seeks the rule that only God has. The devil seeks the worship that only God deserves. And the devil seeks the power that only God possesses. And he is, therefore, arch enemy number one. And I want us to understand that today, that our enemy is the devil. Our enemy is the devil. It's not who's in the White House or not. It's not who uh, is perpetrating um, in the form of human beings something that you don't believe in. Our enemy is the devil. He is at work in this world to undo the work of God. 
Now we come to Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12 and we read something about the devil. We find in verse 12 it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. We know that the devil was at one time, before he became our arch enemy, he was an archangel. He was the highest created beings in heaven. And he had fallen, according to verse um, 14, the reason he fell was because he said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. And so he rebelled against God's authority, against God's rule. And he wanted the worship that only God was worthy of. And so he fell from heaven. And the Bible says in verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened, weakened the nations. God is the origin of nations. Satan is the weakener of nations. Weaken means to cause to decay or cause to waste away. And I don't know about you, but in my lifetime, I have seen our nation weakened. I've seen the decay in our nation take place. And who's behind it? The devil is behind it. But that doesn't mean I don't have a part in it. It doesn't mean you don't have a part in it. You see, all of us have become targets and maybe even, no, not maybe, definitely even tools and instruments in his hands to contribute to the weakening of our nation. And so this morning, that's what I want to share with you, that how the devil weakens the nation and how he uses us humans Christian and non-Christian alike to do it the first thing that he does is that he deceives John 8 44 Jesus was speaking about the religious leaders of his day and he says you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Anybody that doesn't stand in the truth stands with Satan because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Everything that's false, everything that is a fraud, everything that's untrue, Every lie, every form of deceit is from him. But he will use people and philosophies to advance his lies and his deceit. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 about the devil. It says, so that great dragon was cast out. The serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. And so their priority, the devil and his angels, demons, if you will, their priority is deceive, 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 lie to. You know what the nature of deceit is? You don't know you're being deceived. That's the nature of deceit. You don't know you're being deceived. We got some hunters in here. Hunters operate on deceit. I killed my first two deer this year. I did it by tricking them. I lied to them. 
Made them think I wasn't there. And then I shot them dead. That's what the devil wants to do. Trick them. Lie to you. And destroy you. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 3, the devil's going to be locked into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, it says, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were up. So for a thousand years, when Christ reigns on the earth, the devil's going to be locked in the bottomless pit so he can no longer deceive the nations. And then Christ will rule. There will be true peace on earth then. Verse 8 of that same chapter says, But when he's released after the thousand years, he will go out to deceive the nations once more, which are in the four corners of the earth. How does the devil weaken our nation? By deceiving us. Now, I want to outline for you three the ways he deceives us in three categories. I'm going to use Genesis 3, Matthew 4, and 1 John 2. We're going to start with 1 John 2. Because it gives us kind of the outline, if you would, for the ways the devil deceives us. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now he's not talking about people when he says world. He's talking about the philosophy. For all that is in the world, and here's your outline, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So there it is. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Now, let's go to Matthew 4. Matthew 4, Jesus was tempted by the devil out in the wilderness. First thing he tempted him with was lust of the flesh, or desire of the flesh. If, you've been, if you hadn't been eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, reckon you'd be hungry? Would you? Yeah, you're hungry now. And you just ate. Okay, 40 days, 40 nights, and you're hungry. So you have a desire of the flesh. You want to eat. So the devil said, hey, turn those stones into bread. He appealed to his natural fleshly desires to fulfill it in an ungodly way. But there's nothing wrong with bread. And really would have been nothing wrong for Jesus to command the stones to become bread except the fact that the devil wanted him to do it. Then the lust of the eyes. Took him up on a high mountain and showed him all the beautiful kingdoms of the world. And the power and the wealth that he could possess. And he said, all this, Jesus, could be yours. If you bow down and worship me. Then the pride of life. He took him to the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, Jesus, you're so important. Don't you want people to know how important you really are? That you really are the son of God? If you will just jump off this pinnacle, then the, the whole world will see the angels rush to rescue you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Then they'll know who you really are. The pride of life. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. How does he tempt Adam and Eve? The scripture says in Genesis chapter 3, there's one verse there that gives us this same outline that we, that we see in Matthew 4 and 1 John 2. Eve, the Bible says, Eve saw that the fruit was good for food. Hey, that, that will satisfy my hunger. 
I would like to have that fruit. But it's forbidden. Well, why is it forbidden? Well, the devil said, because God knows that the day you eat of it, you'll become like him. And so the scripture says, she saw that it was good for food, lust of the flesh, or desire of the flesh. It would satisfy her fleshly needs. And then the Bible, that verse also says, she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. Hey, that was a beautiful piece of fruit hanging on that beautiful tree. And it would be so nice just to reach up and pluck it and to taste it. It would taste so good because it looks so good. That's what the scripture says. She saw it was pleasant to the eyes. And then it says, and she saw it was desirable to make one wise. The devil said it would make you like God. You would know things that, that only God knows. Pride of life. Now those are the three things, the three ways the devil's still deceiving us. Now let me give you, let me bring that down to where we live today. The lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh. I mean, we all have basic human needs. Basic human impulses and instincts that we all have, they're God-given. Just like Eve had the God-given need to eat. So did Adam. So did Jesus. So do we. But how do we go about meeting those needs? That's where the deceit comes in. The desires of the flesh. Give me what I want now. Uh, having to go, without having to go through the proper channels to get it. I want what I want and I want it now. And if it feels good, then it must be good. And if it tastes good, it must be good. And if it smells good, it must be good. And if it looks good, it must be good. And, I, and if it's good and I do it, then it's good for me. And, and who are you to tell me that it's bad if I think it's good? And so we have called evil good and good evil and we are seeking to satisfy the desires of our flesh, fleshly human impulses in ungodly ways. All sorts of ungodly ways. We'll talk some more about that in just a moment. But the desires of the flesh, the devil's always introducing a way for us to fulfill that desire in an ungodly way. Desires of the eyes or the lust of the eyes. You know, the wealth, the, the, the gaining of wealth, the, the abundance of possessions. You know, Jesus said that our life doesn't consist in the abundance of our possessions. Yet we have bought into the lie that the more we have, the happier we'll be. I mean, we're just human, right? We are Americans and we must subscribe to the American dream. In order to be successful, then we have to have a nice Fine home, in fact, it's not just enough for it to be nice, it needs to be nicer. And it needs to be newer, and it needs to be bigger, and we need to add all these amenities to our home. We don't need to just have a car that gets us from here to there. We've got to have a, 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 a social statement that this, what we drive is we're worthy uh, to be able to drive this vehicle because it's nice and fancy and new, and, and it's more than just a mode of transportation. And pleasure. We want to enjoy the things that God uh, has provided on this earth for us to enjoy. And nothing is wrong with wealth or possessions or homes or cars or trips or vacations. Nothing's wrong with that. What's wrong with it is that we've bought into the lie that we must have those things to be happy. 
and that we cannot live without those things. Now you take that theology, if you will, and that is a theology, or at least it's a philosophy, and you bring that over to South America, some of those countries, and you try to teach that to the believers in South America. Or you take that philosophy over here to some of the third world nations of Africa or Asia. And you try to preach that philosophy to them that in order for them to truly be successful, they need to have nice homes, nice cars, nice clothes, nice vacations. And they're going to look at you like, who are you talking about? I can't even, I don't even have things in my house to eat for dinner tonight. I don't have the shirt that I'm wearing. But yet they're thriving, some of them, in the joy of the Lord. See, we have been deceived in our nation because of our prosperity. And we bought into it as Christians. And so therefore, we busy our lives pursuing those things. And the devil just smiles because he knows that's weakening our nation. Because God's people are busy pursuing the world's philosophy. Which is really the devil's philosophy. So they cannot fulfill God's plan and purpose. Now you just look around and see if I'm telling you the truth. Look in your own life. See if I'm not speaking the truth. If those three things aren't bogging you down. Even like their temptation and tend to bog me down. The desires of the flesh. i got to make sure my needs are met. And I can meet them in any way I choose. As long as it feels good to me. The desires of the eyes. The wealth, possessions, pleasure. And then there's one more. The pride of life. Have you ever seen a time when we were more worried about what other people thought of us than we are today? We, we want people to think good of us. And, 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 and people are addicted to popularity and fame. Social media is thriving on that premise right there. You, you base your, your significance on how many likes you have. How many followers you have. How many people comment on your posts. And again, nothing wrong with social media. But the devil's using that to deceive us into thinking that I've got to be liked and loved and appreciated by people in order to have some sense of worth. And all this, the devil's using lust of the flesh, lust of the pride of life, to weaken us and to weaken the church and to weaken our nation. And we're not even seeing it. We think it's what they're doing outside, out of our home, out of our church. It's what those bad people are doing. It's that other political party. They're the ones ruining our nation. And the devil's going, I'm deceiving them. They don't even know it. And he's cracking up because the people of God are living a lie. You know how else he weakens our nation? As he divides us. Jesus was accused of casting out demons in the name of Satan. So in Mark chapter 3 he said, If a kingdom 
is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. The devil is dividing this nation. He's weakening this nation using the tactic of dividing, division. And he's starting with the very foundation of our society. What do you think is the very foundation of our society? What's the very basic unit of our society? The family. That's where he's starting. He's dividing husbands from wives. He's dividing wives from husbands. He's getting them at odds with one another. I mean, they share the same house. They share the same bills. They may share the same room and bed. But they're miles apart. Because they go two different directions physically. And oftentimes go two different directions emotionally. And they're involved in pursuits that neither of the, the other one is not involved in. And, and, and they never share their, those things together. And they look at each other one day and they go, you know what? We're perfect strangers. Not even sure I love you. So I just don't really know you. The devil snickers. And then there's the mamas and the daddies that are taking their kids all over the countryside, having their kids plugged into everything, that they're so busy. They're doing so many different things that are good things. Nothing wrong with the things they're doing, but they have no time for real family time. And if they do have time at the end of the day for real family time, they're so exhausted that they have to rush through the Bible and rush through prayer because they're slap worn out from chasing their kids all over the country. They're too busy. Or then there's the workaholic mama or the workaholic daddy that's out of the home so often, so many hours and days of the week that, that the kid thinks, well, I don't, don't really know my parents. We call them latchkey kids. That society, we've trusted society to raise our children and mamas and daddies are no longer raising their children. And then we wonder why they grow up and, and rebel against us. Well, they're not rebelling against us because we weren't there to raise them. They're just going along with the people who raised them. Dividing the family. Then there's the television. That big, used to be a box, <laughs> Almost said box, that tells my age. That big picture frame on the wall. You know, I just saw, we were in Sam's the other day. They have one that's 80 inches. 80. I need an 80 inch one. Don't you? I tricked you there, didn't I? See, we just want better things, bigger things, nicer things, newer things. 80 inches. Do I have a wall that big? 80 inches. Can dominate a household can divide a family. The internet. 
By the way, and, and cell phones, tablets. Next time you go to a restaurant, I want to challenge you to do two things. Number one, leave your cell phone in the car. Oh, gosh, that's a sin, isn't it? Somebody, what if somebody's trying to call me? Do you remember old people? Now, you young people, y'all don't remember this, but old people, do you remember when you didn't have a cell phone and the phone was hanging on the wall in your house? And guess what? You made it. You're alive. And you raised kids, and they're alive. Leave it in the car. And then second thing, watch how many people in that restaurant, if they're on a date or with their family, are sitting there going, they're at the same table, sharing the same meal, but they're disconnected, they're miles apart. Is there anything wrong with a cell phone or a tablet? Nope. But the devil's using it to divide families. And we won't, we could talk about the infidelity and immorality. Where a husband and a wife go off to work and, and there's a, a woman at the husband's work that makes him feel really special. Pays a lot of attention to him. Or there's a, a man at the wife's work that just really compliments her on how she smells and how she's dressed. Makes her feel better than her husband does. Or, and this woman makes him feel better than his wife does. And, and they connect emotionally. And they feel isolated from their own spouse. And they begin this emotional involvement affair that turns into a physical affair. And there's infidelity and immorality. And there's pornography. There's pornography. And you see, the devil wants us to think that it's the political parties that are dividing our nation and weakening our nation. But these things right here that I'm talking about this morning, Satan's attacking the very foundation of our nation. And we Christians are just as guilty. Because... I don't know if you've observed or not, but Christian families are not faring any better than non-Christian families. The divorce rate is the same in the church as it is in the world. And Jesus isn't making a lick of difference in many homes and families that claim Him as Lord and Savior. He's weakening our nation. He's weakening our nation and dividing Christians. You say, I'm a better Christian than you are. How do you like the sound of that? I can tell you don't like the sound of that. But here's the real truth. No, I ain't. But I could pretend to be. You can pretend to your neighbor that you're better than you really are. And you can look down your nose at your neighbor because they don't live out their Christian walk the way you do. And you think they're less than you. They go places you wouldn't go. They do things you wouldn't do. They even raise their hands in worship, calling attention to themselves like that. It's more dignified to sit there with your hands in front of you and just be quiet and still. Or the ones who raise their hands and go, look at them old stuck in the muds over there. They don't even know how to worship the Lord. They're too scared. Got their hands stuck in their pockets. And we're just judging each other. Dividing the body of Christ. 
over stupid little things like that. And the devil just snickers. <laughs> I'm weakening the nation because I'm attacking the church and they don't even know it. Jealousy. Pride. Gossip. Criticism. A critical spirit. Always finding fault with somebody or something in the church. And then making sure everybody knows that you're not happy with it. Whining and complaining. All the while the devil's snickering. I'm weakening that church. Because as the family goes, so goes the church. As the church goes, so goes the nation. Legalism. Unforgiveness. God forbid, but hope that's not true in this church. If it is, I don't know about it. But if it is, you better get it right. There's people in churches who won't even sit on the same side of the building with somebody else because they are mad at them for something. There are people in churches who will walk completely on the other side of the building so they don't have to run into so-and-so and play nicey-nice because they really hate them. And yet you pray to God and ask God to forgive you, you hypocrite. For Jesus said, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Dividing the churches. Oh, and we Baptists, we're better than the Pentecostals, aren't we? Oh, and the, and the, and the, and the Pentecostals, they're better than the Presbyterians, aren't they? And the Presbyterians are better than the Catholics. We have these feelings of superiority in our Christian experience. And he's dividing the body of Christ. And he's laughing. Because he thinks, he knows that we think, it's not us weakening our nation. It's them. And then there's all the different people groups that we have to mingle and mix with. Why do we have so many different nationalities in our nation? We need to be Americans. Strictly Americans. Let's get all the foreigners out of here. Sounds like Hitler. You know, Acts 17, 26, he says, For God made from one blood all the nations of men. This time that God's people decided that a black man and a white man have the same blood. That an American man has the same blood as a Jewish man. Who has the same blood as a Chinese man. Who has the same blood as a Russian. Who has the same blood as an African. Who has the same blood as a South American. Who has the same blood of a Hispanic. No matter what, we all have the same blood. As I shared two weeks ago, all of us have four ancestors in common. All, all of us do. I don't care what color your skin is, where you're from, what your nationality or ethnicity is. We all have four parents in common. Adam and Eve and Noah and his wife. And it's time God's people stop being superior, thinking that your nationality is superior to anybody else's when God loves all the nations. And He blesses all the nations through Jesus Christ. 
And it's time that we stop having this superiority and that nations and ethnicities get over their bitterness and their resentment and their hatred and their distrust and their prejudice directed at another ethnicity. And all the while this garbage going on, the devil's snickering because he knows he's weakening the nations. And we're just as guilty. I find it interesting and sad that you visit a church like ours and you see some various ethnicities here but you don't see very many differences here. I find it interesting and sad that if I were to visit a, an African American church or a Hispanic church that I know there's two or three in our more than that as far as African American churches in our community and you find mainly African Americans or mainly Hispanics. I find it interesting that our cemeteries we have a Jewish cemetery we have African American cemeteries we have white cemeteries. We not only can't live together we can't die together. Something's wrong. And where does it start? Right here in the house of God. Right with the people of God. It ain't their fault. We've got to bear some responsibility. And all this deceit and division that you and I are part of contributes to the devil's ultimate goal of destruction. Isaiah 14, where it talks about Lucifer, the son of the morning, it says in verse 17... The devil made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities. God accuses him of being a destroyer. In verse 20 again he said, you, you will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 7 alludes to him as a lion coming up from his thicket and he is the destroyer of nations and is on his way. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. But before he said that, he said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Speaking of the devil. In Revelation chapter 9 and verse 11, you have this vision of these hideous creatures. And it says they had a king over them. The angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name of Apollyon. And if you translate Abaddon and Apollyon, they both translate destroyer. That's the devil. You see, the devil seeks to destroy that which, God's built, which God builds. God builds families. The devil's wanting to destroy them. God's, God started churches. The devil wants to destroy churches. God built nations. And he wants to destroy nations. And God knows what makes a nation great. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Righteousness, godliness exalts a nation. So thus the devil works within a nation. He works in its families. And he doesn't care that you have Jesus written on your family door. He doesn't care that, that you have Baptists written on your theology statement. He's coming after you just like he's coming after those who don't have the name of Jesus. Who don't go to church. 
In fact, he may be attacking us more so he can bring the name of Jesus to reproach. Aha! See? If God were real, then the God they serve, they wouldn't be acting like that. He works in churches, families, communities, governments to promote unrighteousness, ungodliness, to pervert truth, to pervert justice, to pervert morality, all in an all-too-successful effort to destroy that nation. He's at work. He's arch enemy number one. That's why Paul tells us to be sober. Peter says, be sober. You feel kind of sober today, don't you? I feel pretty sober preaching it. I don't mean not alcohol. I mean, this is a very sobering message. Peter said, be sober. Be serious. Be vigilant. That's your adversary. He's being vigilant. He's taking it serious. Are God's people taking it serious? Oh, I'm seriously blaming the, the other people. I'm good at that. Just like Adam said, Lord, that woman you gave me, she's the one who gave me the fruit. Like Eve said, that serpent you made, he gave it to me. We're good at that. What we're bad at is, that's why Jesus said, if my people, who call themselves by my name, what's the first thing he said do? Humble yourself. It takes a lot of pride swallowing to accept that what I'm saying this morning is true about you. And it's true about me. It takes a lot of humbling for me to say, yeah, Lord, I've been a tool in the hand of the devil. I've been used by the devil. I've been deceived to weaken this nation. Lord, I've been, been used by the devil to divide. Thus weaken our nation. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. I've got a couple of quotes here, but I'm going to pass them up for the sake of time. Because I want to finish with this. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says in verse 12, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What God wants us to understand is who our enemy is and where our battle takes place. Our enemy is a spiritual one. And our battle takes place in the spiritual realm. How do we do battle in the spiritual realm? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. I can gripe. That things aren't going well. I can judge others for their part in it. I can complain. Oh, I'm good at those things. I can shift the blame. I'm really good at that. But am I praying? Am I praying? He said, put on the whole armor of God in this passage, Ephesians 6. And he talks about each piece of the armor, but then he closes with verse 18. Praying always 
with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Folks, we as God's people have to identify the real enemy. It's the devil. It's not a political party. It's not anybody who clashes with your worldview. It's the devil and it's his clan. And the only way we can fight the devil is on our knees before the Lord and armed with the armor of God and the weapons of his warfare, which our Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 are not carnal. They're not fleshly. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We have weapons at our disposal that are not guns and swords and knives and spears. They are prayer and the word of God and the truth of God and, and, and the people of God coming together in unity. We must be armed and protected. We must pray fervently, not flippantly. But earnestly, vigilantly, and we must proclaim boldly. That's another one of our weapons is we speak boldly the truth of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. The way to combat evil and immorality and injustice and all this perversion of truth is to proclaim Jesus Christ. And see, I have participated with the devil by not being a faithful witness and by being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because somebody might laugh at me or make fun of me when it's that very gospel that might change that person's life. And with every believer that's born again and, and, and name written in the Lamb's book of life, our nation is strengthened. And am I participating in that endeavor with the Lord? Or am I expecting somebody else to do it? We must proclaim boldly. We must shine brightly. We can't hide in holy huddles. We can't hide in the four walls of a church and just live out our faith in these four walls. My friends, if you're just living out your faith in these four walls, you are a hypocrite. Plain and simple. Your faith, if it's real, if it's genuine, it is lived every single day of your life. And people know that you belong to Jesus because of the way you act, the way you think, and the way you speak, and the things you do. It's evident. Why is it that the world is proud of the sin in which they live and we're ashamed of the righteousness in which we're trying to live? Why do they shove it in our face and we cower in the corner? Because the prince of this world, the devil, is deceiving God's people and dividing God's people. And while good men slept, the enemy is prevailing. Wake up, people of God, and repent. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways. He says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive my people's sin and I will heal my people's land. The onus is on us. It's on you. It's on me.
Let's bow together. We have a lot to deal with God about after a message like this. I know I do. Would you begin that conversation with him right now during this time of invitation and response? You know what you need to say to him or at least...